They worshipped religion. They worshipped the things that were written down. Those became their gods to them. Very, we have to be very careful um, that when Jesus tells us to do something, that it's still Christ that we worship and not his command that we worship. Right? We're worshiping Christ. And that's what the New Testament form of worship is all about. It's not just for one people. It's for all peoples. It's not just for one nation. It's for the nations. And so it had to, it had to be different. It couldn't all be one set of prescribed uh, way of doing things. Because that, in its original uh, intention, was set apart to set those people apart. And now it's for all nations, for all peoples. John Piper says this, The New Testament's not a manual for worship services. Rather, it's a vision for missions in thousands of diverse people groups around the world. In such groups, outward forms of worship will vary drastically, but the inner reality of treasuring Christ in spirit and truth is common ground. The New Testament worship is all about relationship with Christ. That's why it doesn't tell us what songs we should sing, what color the carpet should be, when we should meet, what days of the week we should meet, what our service looks like when we do meet. None of those things are covered in Scripture. If they were, we'd have a lot less problems. <laughs> but, uh, but they're not. Um, and I think the, real, the reality of that is if those things were written down, we would become so dogmatic toward those things that I'm afraid that those would become our God and that we would not be worshiping Christ. We would be worshiping the way he said to worship him. We have to be very careful with that. So what is what? What are we talking about? What matters? Um, well, we can look at the what of worship, which doesn't change from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and that is that worship remembers what God's done for us, what he's doing for us, what he will do for us. Um, it, an it anticipates what he's going to do, and it points to and pictures Christ, and ultimately it brings God glory. Those things haven't changed. From the Old Testament to the New we still worship as a remembrance of what um, God has done through Christ, what he will do. We look at the picture of what worship, uh, of how worship pictures Christ. You know, when we, when we baptize and we look at, um, at, as a, as, at that as a picture of our old life passing away and our newness in Christ. When we take the Lord's Supper and we, we, we eat the little cracker and we think about Jesus' broken body for us and we drink the grape juice and we remember Jesus' shed blood for us. It's a picture of Christ. It's a picture of who he is. That hasn't changed in worship. And ultimately, worship brings God glory. If worship is for our glory, it's not true worship. Old Testament worship was for God's glory. New Testament worship is for God's glory. That hasn't changed. So the what of what... The what is the what is those things. We're remembering God's greatness, his mercy, his kindness, his goodness toward us, his justice. We're, um, we're exalting him in those things. We're bringing him glory through, through the recognition of those things in our lives. We're seeing where the things that we're doing and the times that we're meeting points to and looks like Jesus, and that reminds our hearts of what Jesus did for us, that's true worship. I think there's two models, really, of worship. Um, and one is right, and then one is obviously wrong. So uh, we're going to talk about those here a little bit. A few weeks ago, I went um, 
with Stephen, and we went flying in his experimental plane. And I was a little nervous, especially when I read the little thing that said, this is an experimental plane and has not passed federal safety regulations. And we're about to fly up thousands of feet in the air. But uh, no, it was a really good experience. Um, had a lot of fun. But uh, there was a point where Stephen shut off the engine to his glider. It is a glider. And we're gliding around. And I asked him, how do you... How do you gain lift? How do you go higher up in the air as I'm watching his little, his little instrument panel keep going down, 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 you know? I'm like, well, we're going to hit the ground eventually. How do you go back up? And, um, and he told me that there's heat vents or whatever um, that you go and you fly around and, and you spiral tightly in this little uh, pocket of heat, and that lifts you back up. And he told me that that's what birds are doing when they're flying in circles, and I... I never knew that. And so if you never knew that, there you go. Birds are gaining altitude when they do that. Um, when we think about these models of worship, think about them in that spiraling way. It's not like when I, when I read through this or go through these that it's a one-and-done kind of thing. These modes of worship will either lead us closer to God or further away from him. And constantly, as we worship God, as we worship through Christ, we are drawn closer to him. And we are continue, continually drawn closer to him as long as we're worshiping him. If we worship anything else, including self, we're drawn further and further and further away. So the more that we worship self, the more that we worship false gods, the more that we worship idols, the further we are drawn away from God. Here's what those models look like. There's a sacrificial model. And the first thing that it starts with is recognition. So this can be applied... Um, well, hopefully applied to Christ and to our worship of him, but it can be applied to anything that we worship. We can sacrificially worship anything. I've known a lot of people who sacrificially worship football. I've known a lot of people who sacrificially worship um, gods and place their hope in false gods that ultimately are, are not going to provide them any hope. Um, but they do that sacrificially. They give of themselves in order to worship those things. The first thing we see in sacrificial worship is a recognition of something to be worshipped, right? Something that sets that thing apart. Something great, something awe-inspiring. When we uh, talk about our relationship with Christ, we often talk about his mercy, his kindness. Romans talks about how his kindness draws men to him. Um, we see those elements of his character, those things that he has done for us, and that's a recognition on our part of something that that God has done that um, that is worthy of worship, right? And you can apply that again to, to idols or whatever, but you, you set aside something that you think is worthy of your worship. That recognition then t transforms your perspective on life, transformation. Recognition leads to transformation. Your heart, your perspective, the way that you view and live life changes based upon what you recognize in what you're worshiping. So if you are worshiping money and you recognize the value of money and the things and, and you say, well, wow, this money is really pretty awesome. We can do some great things with that. That's going to transform your perspective on life. What are you going to do? How am I going to live my life so that I can be closer to money, so that I can have more money or whatever? Okay? Transformation then leads to expression. It goes from the brain and the heart 
to actually doing something. Well, again, if your God is money and your perspective is transformed and and now you see the greatness of money and you want to be closer to money and have more money, you're going to do something to have more money. Take a second job. Um, I don't know, whatever. Sometimes even illegal things so that you can have more. Um, Expression comes from transformation. When we're worshiping Christ, we recognize something about him that is to be worshipped. That recognition transforms our perspective on life, on God, on ourselves. That transformation then leads to expression. Expression is where we would say the what, the how of worship, the, the singing, the praying, the reading of scripture, those kinds of things. Those are typical expressions of worship. And then that expression should then lead to exaltation and glorification. Exaltation being we're lifting up those things that we recognized about the object of worship. We're, we're exalting them. We're bringing them praise. And then glory is giving them the credit. Right? I am who I am because of what I'm worshiping. Okay? So recognition, transformation, expression, then that leads to exaltation and glorification. And it's a cycle. You then would see something new. You'd recognize something new. Or you'd recognize something that God has done um, maybe in your past. And maybe you are just reminded of it. And then that leads to, again, a transformed perspective, an expression of worship, exaltation and glorification. That's the sacrificial model of worship. Now, there is another model of worship, and this is the self-serving model of worship. So from myself comes obligations, traditions, uh, inclinations or preferences, those things. That then determines my expression, and that expression then leads to self-glorification. Right? And then that's a spiral. We recognize something in ourselves. Our self determines our perspective. That perspective then drives expression. That expression then leads to self-glorification. That is a self-serving model of worship. And true biblical worship requires both a proper model of worship and the proper object of worship, that being Christ. We can, like I said, we can sacrificially worship a false god. We can sacrificially worship an idol. We can also self-servingly worship an idol or a false god. We can also self-servingly worship Christ. This is where Christ is not really the object of worship. He's the perceived object of worship. We're really the object of worship. So the true biblical worship requires a proper model and a proper object. Sacrificial worship of Christ alone. We can worship Christ or we can worship anything but Christ. And anything but Christ, including ourselves, is an idol, is a false god. Now, this is not something new. Um, we deal with, with um, selfishness on a daily basis. I know I do. And it's not something that is new to 2017 or new to the 21st century or anything like that. It, it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. It goes all the way back to before the Garden of Eden. When Satan said, I will be like the Most High, he desired the position and the authority of God. He desired the throne of God. He wanted to be number one. And his temptation to Adam and Eve in the garden was, you shall be like gods. You deserve God's place. 
You deserve the authority. You deserve the position. So selfishness and the, the idea that, that we should be the ones that worship is all about dates back to the beginning of time. It's not something that's brand new. It's not something that, you know, as, as liberalism has moved in and across our country, that things are getting worse. It's not about that. This has been from the beginning. It's from the beginning. So we have to intentionally set um, Christ as our object of worship. If you look at Psalm 135, 15 through 18, it talks a little bit about false gods. So if our object of worship is anything but Christ, this is what we're talking about, our idols, including ourselves. It says, The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. They have eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. These are the things that we worship that are not Christ. They have ears, they may have eyes, they may have mouths, but they cannot hear our prayers. They cannot speak truth into our life. They cannot see us when we're suffering. They cannot walk beside us. They can't lift us up. They can't hold us. There is no breath in their mouths. They may seem alive, but there is no life in them. So anything apart from Christ that we're devoting our worship to will leave us wanting, will leave us disappointed. And it says, those who make them become like them, and so do all who trust in them. Like them means no life. There's no life in those idols. And so if our worship is devoted to something other than Christ, there will be no life in us. We can self-servingly worship a false god and be left wanting. We can seemingly worship Christ in a self-serving way and be left wanting. True worship expression, the things that we do, extends from a transformed perspective. Worship that extends from anything else is merely for show. We can also sacrificially worship Christ and grow in relationship with him. That's what the Bible intended. That's what Jesus intends with our lives. Uh, that we would sacrificially worship Christ and Christ alone. And I think once we see Christ and the beauty of his majesty and we look at idols, they fade, they, they, their, their beauty fades in comparison. Right? Like if we struggle with a particular sin and we have seen Christ in action in our lives and we recognize the awesomeness of Christ in our lives. And then we look back at that thing, that old sin or that, that preference or whatever it is that's drawing us away from Christ, and we look at it and we just say, it's, but it's not like Jesus. It's not good like him. It can't provide for me like he can. It doesn't give me hope like he can. When we see Christ in his beauty, everything else fades. When we struggle with those particular sins, it's because they have become the object of our worship. Our life is devoted to them. Our heart is devoted to them. We, we, we are um, expressing ourselves because we recognize something worthy of it in that thing or in that sin. But, that's, but there is nothing worthy 
in those uh, things. The only thing worthy of our worship is Christ. Let's look at what Paul wrote in uh, Romans 12 about biblical worship. We're going to read through the whole chapter. Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, and be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. First we see, uh, if you look back at verse 1, a recognition of God's grace and our justification through Christ. So remember, we're talking about sacrificial worship here, so we're going to look at the sacrificial model. The first thing is recognition. And we see a recognition of God's grace and our justification through Christ in verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. That's why we then present our bodies a living sacrifice. That's the expression that comes later. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The only way that we become a holy and acceptable sacrifice is through Christ. Like we talked about, or like we sang about, and Jesus paid it all. Right? For nothing good have I whereby thy grace to claim. Right? It's not about what I do. It's not about what you do. It's about what Christ has done for us. It's about what Christ is doing in us. The only way that we can present ourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, is to first be made holy and acceptable unto God through Christ, through the justification of Christ. If we look uh, then, we've, we've seen the recognition, now the transformation of our perspective onto the will of God and what is good, acceptable, and perfect. If you look at verses or verse 2, 
It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It's no longer about my will. It's no longer about my thoughts. It's about Christ's will in my life. It's about his thoughts. Um, and through um, the transformation by the renewal of our mind, through, through um, the work that God is doing in our lives, our perspective on life is transformed. And out of that transformation comes expression. The expression, we, we can see a couple of things here. First, in verses 3 through 8, when it's talking about the body and how um, different members of the body will look differently and act differently and do different things. Again, thinking back to Old Testament expression, Israel was all called, the entire group of people was all called to worship in the exact same way, but that's different now. We're not all called to worship exactly the same way in the how of worship. Sometimes, and this happens through spiritual gifts, through the, um, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, God works in different ways through different people. We're not all called to look exactly the same, think exactly the same, act exactly the same. The way we minister will not be exactly the same. And so it's foolishness, it's silly even, to think that as a group of people, even this large, gathered together, that we should all be the same. Scripture never says, act the same, do the same things. It does say to have the same spirit, right? One God, one call. That hasn't changed. But the expression will not always look the same. We can see that in verses 3 through 8 for all of us. If you look at verses 9 through 21, this is a true expression of worship. It always leads to the exaltation and glorification of Christ. Now, on the surface, it might just seem like it's telling us a list of things to do. Let love be genuine. Honor, um, honor those around us. Love one another with brotherly affection. Um, don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. But if we think about why we're doing those things, if we've presented our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto, the, unto God, and we've had that transformed perspective by the renewal of our mind, and we've tested what is the will of God, and now we're living out in expression these things. We're loving our enemies. We're outdoing one another in honor. We're showing brotherly affection to one another. We're rejoicing in hope. We're being patient in tribulation. We're contributing to the needs of the saints. We're living in harmony with one another. Those are not just things that we should go, oh, look at those guys. They're doing so well over there. First Baptist Church really has it together. No, those don't become a reflection of us. Those become a reflection of the God we serve, of Christ. Right? If I am able to love my enemy, it's not because of me. Because that goes against everything that our world perspective would tell us. If someone wants to hit me, well, I want to hit them back. If someone wants to talk bad about me, well, I want to talk bad about them. That's the world perspective. So for us to say, well, I love my enemies. I'm praying for my enemies. I'm blessing those who persecute me. That's not of you. That can only come through a changed heart, and that points directly to Christ, the one who changed it. All of these things, this list from verses 8 to 21, are expressions that lead to the exaltation and glorification of Christ. We look at it. 
Piper also says the impulse for singing a hymn and the impulse for visiting a prisoner are the same. A freeing contentment in God and a thirst for more of God, a desire to experience as much satisfaction in God as we can. So as we talk about worship and we continue to talk about worship next week, um, remember that the who of worship does matter. It's all about Jesus. Colossians 1, it tells us that um, that Jesus created all things, and all things were made for him and by him, and he and by him all things consist. I love that. By him all things consist are held together. One of my favorite verses is Psalm 75, 3, which says, When the foundations of the earth tremble, I am holding up the pillars of it. Right? When our life seems to be falling apart, Jesus is what holds it together. And that's pretty awesome. The who does matter. When we think about Christ being the one who created us all, created all things for himself, that's a pretty amazing God that we serve. I uh, did something foolish yesterday, and I um, my neck was really stiff in the morning, and so I kind of rolled it around to try to pop it, and I pulled a muscle right here. And so now I can't look that way, so sorry you people over there. Um, and, and, uh, yeah, it just, it sends these like intense, just pains just right up my neck. It feels like somebody hit me with something like a shovel or, or something. I don't know, but it hurts so bad. And I got to thinking last night, I was thinking it's so silly that our complex bodies as God created us so complex that one little muscle can totally shut me down. You know what I mean? Like, if you think about it, like if you've ever stubbed your little toe, right? It's this big, and yet it shuts you down, right? Our bodies are so complex and yet so simple, and that just makes me think about how awesome God is as a creator. If you think about the complexity of the human form, and then you think about the complexity of creation. We went over Thanksgiving break and saw... Uh, Heather's grandma, uh, but on our way to see her, we stopped at the Grand Canyon. And I've seen it before, um, but it is something to be reminded of, um, of just the awesomeness of God's creation and to see that wonder of the world that, that God created. And then for to come back and be telling people about it and then go, oh, did you go to... Um, to the, the part where you can walk out on the plexiglass and you say, no, that's on the north side of it and we're on the south side of it. And then to comprehend the amount of hours it would take to drive from the south side to the north side. Um, just the, the complexity of that one part of creation. How awesome of a God we serve, of a creator that we serve, who made all things by his own power and for his own glory, including you and including me. And not just that we worship an amazing God, but that we worship an amazing God who loves us, who cares for us, who wants a personal relationship with each and every one of us, who wants to provide for us, who wants to be an Abba, a daddy to us. Not a stand-far-off father. I joked with my mom when we had Kira... She said, what is she going to call me? You know, like all these little weird names. Um, 
And I said, she's going to call you grandmother, <laughs> you know. And uh, my mom started crying, right, because she didn't want my daughter to call her grandmother, you know. She wanted to be Nana or, well, Heather's mom is Mimi, you know, these, these little pet names. God is our heavenly father, and he loves us like a father, but he loves us like a daddy, too. That close, personal relationship. My favorite moment of the day is coming home from work, keying in our little number on the door, which Kira can hear anywhere in the house, and she will run to greet me. That is what God desires of us, that we would be so close in our relationship that we would run to greet him, that we would hide behind him when we're afraid, that we would cling to him. That's the God we serve. That's Christ, created all things, but he loves you and I on an individual level, wants a personal relationship with us. The why and where matter. We're called to worship Christ in all times and in all places, not just here on Sunday, not just on Wednesday, not just Sunday nights, not just whenever the church meets, in all times and in all places, at your job, with your family, with strangers that you see on the street. Those are moments of worship and shouldn't be ignored. And the what of worship matters. True worship is sacrificially focused on Jesus. We adore him for who he is, for what he's done in our lives, for what he's going to do in our lives, and we glorify him because he's the only one worthy of glory. In Philippians 2, it talks about how Jesus humbled himself and took on the form of, of a human and submitted himself to death, even death on a cross. And because of that, God has exalted his name above every name, so that at his name every knee shall bow, both on earth, in heaven, and under the earth. Every knee will bow. The only one worthy of the glory that worship brings is Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you love us. We thank you um, that you want personal relationship with us. Lord, we, uh, we are grateful that we can come and gather together and, and worship you in this time that we've set aside called a worship service. Lord, but we know that uh, it's not just about this time. Lord, help us to see your mercy, your goodness, your kindness, your justice in a new light in a new way. Help us to reflect on the many things that you've done for us. Help us to worship you and you alone, sacrificially, in spirit and in truth. Lord, I know that you said in your word that we should present our bodies a living sacrifice. And the importance of being a living sacrifice is there's always the temptation to get off of the altar. Lord, and I pray that that we would daily be reminded of your awesomeness, daily submit our will and our perspective to you, daily worship you in spirit and in truth, and daily bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.